It's Paolo here from The Song Will Go On, and we're celebrating our podcast launch by giving away some free stuff to our listeners. We'll be giving away some classic soundtracks on vinyl, as well as free gift cards to music services like Tidal and Spotify. From three months of free premium subscriptions to the grand prize of one year of premium Spotify. To enter to win, all you have to do is leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot, share it on social media, and tag us in it. And then at the end of the month, we'll announce the winners via Instagram Live. Not only can you win some great free stuff, but you also help us grow our podcast and make sure that not only the song will go on, but the podcast will go on. And now let's start the pod. On today's episode, we come dressed all in black and we got some piercings too. Yes, we are covering Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross and Karen O's cover of Immigrant Song for the 2011 movie, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Shit, how can you not get pumped after that? Let's start the pod. Hello and welcome to The Song Will Go On, the podcast inspired by the songs, inspired by the motion pictures. Today, shit's gonna get dark and moody and very moody. We're talking about the cover Immigrant Song by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and Karen O for the 2011 David Fincher film, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And joining us, just like the film's character, Elizabeth, she too is a research wizard. Not to mention, she actually has a decent piercing collection. <laughs> it's our co-host, Sofia Matano. What's up, Sophie? Hello. And today's guest, host of the YouTube channel, The Vinyl Score. Now, I didn't have to notify him of today's wardrobe requirements because I know he's always rocking the all black look. It's David Ballantyne. What's up, David? Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, man, we're really good. After that intro, like, I'm ready for this. Yeah, this we're is pumped. Yeah, this is yeah. a pump up song. Wait, Immigrant Song? That's a Len Zeppelin song? Like, why are you talking about that? Well, actually, we're talking about the cover of Immigrant Song made originally for the girl with the dragon tattoo. And so that's basically our rule. Our motto is if it was created for the film, it's fair game. So that's what we're doing. We found a loophole. Yes, basically, we found a, a loophole. And also, we found even a double loophole because we might do needle drops in future episodes, which is songs that are featured that are not original for movies, but are featured in the movies. And those are really fun, too. But we still have a lot more. Those are That's a what if. If you guys really enjoy this, we'll even do needle drops. But before we can talk about the song, like I said, we got to talk about its creator. Yes, the movie. The reason why it exists. So Sophie, do your magic and set up the film for us. All right, let's set the stage for this movie. So The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a 2011 mystery thriller from director David Fincher and screenwriter Stephen Zalian, starring Daniel Craig, Rooney Mara, Christopher Plummer, and Stellan Skarsgård. The film is an adaptation of the first novel in the Millennium Trilogy by Swedish writer Stieg Larsson. In the film, disgraced reporter Michael Bloomfist has a chance to regain his reputation when wealthy Swede Henrik Wanger hires him to solve the 40-year-old disappearance of Wanger's niece, Harriet. Wanger suspects Harriet was killed by a member of his own family, so Michael dives into the family's dark, complicated history. Eventually joining dark. him on this dangerous quest for the truth is Lisbeth Salander, or our girl with the dragon tattoo. Yep. She's an unusual but ingenious investigator and computer hacker whose trust is not easily won, but she and Michael form an unlikely pair to solve the cold case. The film grossed $232.6 million on a $90 million film budget, not too shabby, and received many positive reviews that praised Craig and Mara's performances, with Mara's earning her an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. Angus Wall and Kirk Baxter won the Oscar for Best Film Editing, and Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross won a Grammy for Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. 
we will absolutely be talking about them later on. But for now, yeah, obviously, <laughs> let's talk about the movie. Yeah. Great job, Sov. You did a good job with those names. I know that they were like, eesh. There were a couple Swedish ones in there. Yeah, yeah. So you like touched <laughs> that yeah. really good. Actually, our guest picked today's song. I want to start with basically what is your relationship, David, and why did you pick this song? I think this is a, a movie that kind of represents like multiple strands of things that I like kind of crashing together. I love the yeah, yeah, yes. I yeah. love David Fincher. I think one of the first filmmakers that really, really blew my mind uh, with Fight Club and some of his early works. Like I really, that's, wow, those movies really resonated with me. Uh, big Nine Inch Nails fan. Really? And this was also kind of an odd movie for him to make. This is a really big. It really big, is. Yeah. It's a really big piece of like intellectual property. I think I was maybe a little confused or bewildered by that choice at the time. You know, when I was thinking about songs, though, that have just a huge songs that have a huge impact. I just this one stood out because it, it's important from the get go. Hmm. And if you've seen this movie, it does a lot to help it you. It does a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It sets the ground, uh, the groundwork for this for this movie in a lot of ways. So that's kind of why I grabbed onto it. So what is your relationship with the film? Well, being such a big Fincher fan, when I knew he was going to adapt another book, uh, and that's kind of what Fight Club is really, you know, it's, a, it's one of the best book adaptations of all time into a film. I was really curious about it. I had read this book. I would consider really? it, it. Yeah. And I would consider this kind of a beach read. If you know that term, I don't mean that dismissively, but like, you know, if you're on vacation, you can grab this and it's a, it's a fast read. It's it's really quick. It's a it's a little dark. I haven't read the book, but it sounds a bit too distracting or dark for a leisurely read. But maybe, but, you, but thrillers always you find those at the airports. That is true. Always, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe airport airport reads a better a better mm -hmm. term because and I think the pages just fly. I think it's written in a way where there you know the narrative is really really quick. So you know when it when it was coming out, I was pretty excited, and I'll say also. Any Fincher film that comes out, I'm pretty excited. He he doesn't make a lot. So when there's a new one, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much on board. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot. And like you said, it really does kind of stick out to this day because of the IP element you said. I'm curious, so like, how did you approach this film? Like, what was your relationship? Like, I know you're really big, really big fan of true crime and mystery, but I'm just curious if this is, oh. this was on your radar or... It was. So I first saw the Swedish adaptation of Me too. the Yeah, book. that's the first. I, I saw that in theaters with a friend and we were sort of in agreement. Well, we were disagreeing on what movie to see. So we decided like, let's just go see something that we, neither of us has any context for. And we went into the theater and saw this one and I was not prepared <laughs> for that movie. Um, but I was pretty floored because I loved the mystery. Lisbeth was such an interesting character. Just sort of the the Swedishness of it all was like really interesting. At least from an American perspective of Sweden, there's this undercurrent of like, we, we think it's such a progressive country with yeah, its like gender a... politics. And, and yet this entire movie is about like the underbelly. Of it comes... Like, yeah, it comes in like lists of like greatest places to live every once in a while. You're like, oh, yeah. And then it's like a throwaway like, well, in Sweden, they do this and they're better and all that stuff. So I, I and, get and yeah, I, this well, is like I do a... believe that they are in general. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're sort of like in the movie, there's it shows the nasty underbelly yeah. of violence and hatred yeah, toward like, women on like religious, social, political grounds, like you name it. Former white yeah. supremacists have a feature much more heavily than you might expect. Right, right. <laughs> And then I ultimately read the book, which was a huge international bestseller. I'm sure that we all remember that. And I really loved it. So when this movie came out kind of a few years later, I was a little confused. Like, why now? Because it felt like the, the hype was a little bit over on the book. I remember not loving this movie at the time. Yeah. On a rewatch for, for this I think I, I look on it a little bit more favorably now. I'll, I'll get into my, <laughs> you know, my gripes with it. What's your also relationship with Curious David Fincher? At that point, like, were you like, oh, this is a David Fincher movie and I care about that too. And the fact that he's involved or not. I don't think that that really had anything to yeah, do with yeah, it. I was more excited about or curious what an American remake of a Swedish book that is still being set in Sweden would be 
Yeah. Like, what are we trying to say with this movie, I guess? Yeah, I... I lean more into David's camp where I, I, this was 2011. This was definitely sort of my very much paying attention to film and cinema and me trying to, you know, <laughs> uh, I think I had back then a, a podcast, I think about film criticism, if, if, if I could even call it that. And so I was very aware that it was like a David Fincher. I saw the original. I really liked the original. So I was very curious what this new version could bring similar, I guess, to you. So remember being a bit disappointed when I saw it back in 2011, because I was very hyped based on actually the cover song we were going to talk later because mm. of the trailer. I was like, wow, because it's just like, and, and not to get too far, far ahead of myself, but it just communicates so much that teaser and that song that mm -hmm. you were like, oh my God, what are we in for? But when I saw the film, I was just like, uh, did we needed that? Was that needed? Like, did it add something? I didn't feel that. However, rewatching it for the pot, I do look at it also more favorably. Now, with some some distance, I could appreciate the things I liked. I want to play you guys a little bit something because I found something funny. But we were talking about the books and how big of of a hit this was worldwide. Mm -hmm. In the movie's special feature, they asked David Fincher sort of. Why does he think this story, the books, everything resonates so much with people? And, and this is his take. I think people are perverts. <laughs> I've maintained that. That's been, I've, that's the foundation of my career. Well, there you go. There's why. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> that's why David Fincher thinks this was such a big success. I think if you are, you know, curious what David Fincher thinks about the world, I, I think him framing it, most of us as perverts is pretty good indication of uh you know and you can see that in his movies I, I i'm not too surprised yeah going back to the hype for this film I, I again i can really it's hard to picture 2011 was more than 10 years ago that's insane but the hype for this i feel like was so big i remember at least maybe i'm talking for myself but like fincher had just come out of doing the social network a film that i absolutely love and i think it's one of his best if not his best film than just like a general great film and again, that trailer just really hyped this film. So I feel like I just needed some time removed from that hype to really appreciate that film. And in second watching, we watched the original Swedish film too. And I really do appreciate sort of what feature brings. Like the style definitely elevates the, the, the coldness of the location. And it really adds a flavor to the story. I feel like now when I was watching the original wasn't there and that's props to sort of like how he shot the film and, and the, the tone that the film has friend restaurant Atticus score like if i go i'm gonna watch the girl with the dragon tattoo do i watch the original do i watch this one i think it might be this one just based out of that flavor i feel like the original might be missing but at the same time i feel like the story works a bit better on the original so i don't know i'm very conflicted another aspect of it i want to hear your opinions but it's also might be the fact that this one feels like a first, obviously, of a trilogy, and it doesn't continue. Yeah. yeah, we definitely need to talk about that. And it's like the weirdest thing. Like, I feel like there is definitely, there's something there that has not come like, because how can, you, you mentioned, it made pretty good amount of money. Yeah. It, Especially for Fincher. He doesn't have a lot of big money hits. Yeah, yeah great he, point. He, he gets the accolades pretty well. People will, will speak highly of him, but... He doesn't have a lot that make that really rake in the dough. I don't even think this is his highest grossing. I think Gone Girl maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say in. Gone Girl. But you know, that's three hundred million, which you know is somewhere in that range. And comparatively, he just doesn't rake in the big bucks. In the era where IP is so important in franchises, and we're talking about a massive global success with the books. Even if the first one was a failure, that would have been like, yeah, we're like, we're going to go fantastic beast with this and we're going to keep char. <laughs> we're going to stay the course no matter how bad these movies are. Like, well, I <laughs> did some intel. Yeah. About so, why the sequel was, uh, please explain. Please explain. I've got one. Okay. Well, allegedly it's Daniel Craig's fault. Oh, Mr. Mr. Bond, Mr. 007 wanted some more dough. Give it to oh. him. Like, <laughs> like you're like, this is a large studio production. Like I would say recast him. Wow. <laughs> His uh, performance or in this is sort of the low point for me personally. I think that he 
is just sort of there reacting to things and looking at pictures. I'm not going to disagree with really? you. Okay. I, so okay. David, I, I, I'll I was offer ready for the pick short. Yeah, no. yeah. I'll offer a counterpoint. Because okay, I, sure. I know that mm-hmm. I know that obviously we're in the minority. People really love Dino Craig and his Bond portrayal and stuff like that. I personally. Sure. I'm just out. talking about this movie. N- I, I actually took it in a different direction. I'm not the biggest Daniel mm. Craig fan. Like, honestly, before Knives Out, I would have said like, yeah, I enjoy him in Bond, but I couldn't really like, what is it about him that like I, I really like love? Knives Out is the yeah. one that I go to. Agreed. Rooney Mara to me is the standout in this film. Like her performance is really good. Yeah. Honestly, just even worth revisiting just to see her performance. Before we just dump piles of praise on Rooney, because I think that's very well deserved. I want to give a little bit back to my guy, Daniel, here before we move on. And, <laughs> and one of the reasons why I actually really like this performance, and you're not too far from me, Paulo. I don't really know that there's a ton of his performances besides Bond in Knives Out that I would even remember or, you know, particularly uh, uh, care about. I think that's one of the reasons I like this. He has this sort of bimbo uh, character where he's he's not very good at some of this stuff. He kind of walks into stuff a little bit. And I think he does that really well. I, I appreciate his buffoon act a little bit as he's trying to kind of uncover stuff. I also think the way he carries his glasses is one of the all-time <laughs> best things. He has this way of hooking it over his ear and like under his chin that is um, this really, and, and I don't know if I've ever shared, I'm an actor, I love to act. I do mostly theater. I would do film if I could. But so, sometimes a small, small choice, like I'm like, oh, you, yeah, that is a brilliant choice to have your glasses like that. Because it's just, <laughs> It's a it's a personalized, you know, um, affectation or whatever to have that. It's I think it's actually a pretty subtle performance for him. And I think he messed up by not doing more of those, to be honest. He should have done them because it gave him an opportunity that I think Knives Out now does for him. Mm -hmm. Right. He's got a character that he can do that is more uh, that isn't the big action kind of a thing. Mm hmm. I'm glad you said that because, again, I'm, I don't want to hate on Daniel Craig. Like, I'm not saying it was bad or anything. I just really, really, really enjoy Rooney Mara's performance here. To me, it really, I can see why she got nominated. I forgot that. Which she, she got, mentioned it. Yeah, I, yeah. I completely mm-hmm. forgot that. And, and also, that was another thing for me that I was hyped for this because she killed it in that opening sequence in Social Network. And I was, was really excited because... She only had that to do in the social networks. Like, oh, who is this person? That was my introduction to Rooney Mara. She's really good. And then once they announced the film, it's like, oh, she's going to get like a whole movie with Fincher. That's going to be great. And to me, that was what really delivered about this movie is like that collaboration and their work. Yeah. If you go on the Blu-ray special features, (laughs) there's a whole piece about the hoops that Rooney Mara had to jump through to get this role. uh, I know. That's what uh, I was just going to say. That's what I was just going to talk about. (laughs) It's crazy. Which also, if people, one of the reasons I like Fincher's stuff too, his Blu-rays are packed with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The commentaries are golden. Like there's so much cool information, but you're right. You can tell that Rooney lost herself in that totally headfirst into that part that that audition those videos her walking in la on the metro <laughs> yeah and fincher like apparently following her while she's like in kind of makeup and and costume and stuff like that like mm-hmm. how do we feel about her career i think her career is interesting it hasn't been in a lot but in the things she's been this she was nominated we got Carol. Like, I feel like she takes like these breaks and then knocks it out of the park. And then you're like, oh my God, Rooney Mara, like such a great actress. And then we don't hear from her for a while. Like, yeah, I wonder if it's the kind of thing where does an actress like that or an actor like that get a payday of a significant size? They can kind of cool their jets and be more cho- be more picky, be more choosy. Because I bet that feels really good, you know? Very like much in control of your own career. You know, it'd be it would be interesting to know, like, does she feel like that's she's hitting the success that she'd hoped for or not? Like, I love her and Carol. I think it's one of those things where she's in something and I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. And I forget that she's also connected to Joaquin Phoenix, who I feel a little similarly about. Yeah. So he doesn't do a million things. But when he does something, I'm kind of like, oh. Well, I'm going to check it out because he chose to do it. That's the type of career I think she's having. And and I'm saying this as a compliment. I think she's very savvy about her career. And I I don't know, for some reason, I I think about like Emma Stone. 
And I feel like she has the Emma Stone career, except she stays on the bench with Aloha. Rooney doesn't do as much and therefore like doesn't have those like big strikeouts and is able to pick her spots where they're someone like Emma Stone. You see her more present and stuff, but like some of it is really great, like the favorite and Easy A and uh, La La Land. And then some of it not that great. So I don't know. I'm just I, I guess I'm, it's curious. I think yeah, Rooney, it's Mara, interesting. Rooney Mara is doing like a great job at like picking her spots. And I like that. Yeah, I just wish that we didn't have to wait five years for a movie to kind of peek through. Because I know I I actually had to look up her filmography and she she's done more than I thought she has. They just aren't movies that really broke through the noise for me. Or like support roles, too. Yeah, true. Uh, She was just in Nightmare Alley. Um, and she's wonderful in Nightmare she's, Alley. She's great, yeah. But but you know, I, she's I maybe... fell asleep in that one, so I don't <laughs> know how. Well, sleepy Alley for Sophie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you when you if you ever wander back down that way, uh, she has a you know she has a supporting role in that, and right. and quietly, efficiently, wonderfully playing that part. And it's also not a really big flashy part. It's not Lisbeth, right? You know what I mean? And 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 maybe you know maybe that just took a lot to do. Going through that, that character goes through a lot, changing your body physically and just diving in. Maybe she was like, you know what? That's enough of these big, (laughs) difficult trial characters who have these huge trials. You know, I'm going to do I'm going to take my time more. You know, I don't know. Yeah. If I'm looking at her career thus far, Carol is the big standout for me. I think that that's what she's going to be known for. And then a uh, girl with the dragon tattoo comes yeah. well, in actually, at a close second. Actually, she has an upcoming Audrey Hepburn biopic, which to me has oh, I can totally see her as Audrey. Yeah, all written over it. Like, I don't even know if it's a hot take, but calling it now at least an Academy Award <laughs> nomination, if not the win. Um, wow, coming in hot. Yeah, mm, you heard it here first, folks. She's probably <laughs> like in Oppenheimer too, or something mm-hmm. like that. This is a thought that I have. It's connected to what you guys were saying, and just everything is like, did this movie suffer from coming out too early? Meaning, first off, it was way too close to the original. Like, not an, enough time had passed. Second, now with first true crime being more of a thing, like it's really big right now, a mystery. Also. TV blowing up, would this be just a better limited series? You have a lot more time to like deal with such a big mister with the family. Like, I definitely agree that it wouldn't hurt it with how popular true crime is right now. If it was around in the last three, four years or something, I, I could see that being a big benefit. Um, I like it as a movie. I could see it working just fine as a series. And, you know, maybe that's what's next is you'll see someone reboot the entire thing in the next four years or something and turn it into an, an HBO Max or, or a Netflix series. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I also think that this movie and the novel in general was touching on some themes that we weren't quite discussing at the time. Yeah. The original name of the novel is Men Who Hate Women. And that sure. was deemed uh, probably, I- I'm, I'm assuming, too controversial of a title to put out in English. So they went with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, this was also when, you know, The Girl with the Pearl Earring. And, you know, like there were a lot of The Girl right. with, The, cur- the Girl yeah. Who, The Girl. And, you know, honestly, I don't even remember the significance of the tattoo. She just has it. She just has it. Yeah, you're right. You know? I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's just like it's not so, even it's not yeah, even a yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. So Well, uh, does she get uh, it after does she get it after one of the most hardest scenes in the movie? Is that when she gets that tattoo? I can't remember. I don't now. think so because it's so. on her back. And she, she gets, she the gets tat- one yeah, on her right. arm. Yeah. yeah. Well, she so got I know she gets one after that scene. Oh, so yeah. And there and that's when she gets the idea for the tattoo gun. Right. Um, but that right. back piece seems like it takes a long time to do. Like we would have needed like a like a jump forward in time <laughs> if she got that. Yeah. So for you you make a great point mm-hmm. though. I think that it is dead set on its judgment about men yes. and, and the harm, the harm and danger they are in the world. I appreciate its unequivocal judgment about that, how complete its judgment is about the horrors that men do. Yeah, and I think, like, imagine this film coming out in a post-MeToo, post-Harvey Weinstein time. What would this movie look like? They might attack it as being too woke or something. It'd be like, you know, it'd be like, oh, just, just, 
people reacting uh, gone gone too far that we I, could remind everyone it was written 20 years ago or something. I actually no. didn't have like that reaction. Part of my enjoyment this time was like, I feel like that movie has aged really well in terms of relevance. Like, I feel like that message, now that we're in another place where we sort of understand things better, like it has a m more powerful message. And that was one of the things I really enjoy on this viewing. Do we have any more thoughts about the film or are we time to like rock on and... I would say my last parting thought is that if you if you've been so so on this film, eh, give it another shot Saturday afternoon style, you know, just put it on, you know, kick back on a lazy, lazy, rainy day or something. I think that's really where this movie is good. You don't feel I don't think you feel the pace as much or the length. The only caveat that I would say to that is if sexual assault is a touchy subject for you, skip this one. You yeah, don't yeah, need it. Call. There's some pretty brutal scenes in here. I, they made me pretty uncomfortable, even when I was prepared for them. So, you know, protect yourself. Be kind to yourself. Skip this one. If yeah, that I would even sounds you like could you. Even, <laughs> yeah, you could expand it to physical and verbal abuse too. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's again just a, yeah, it's it's a it's a rough go. Right. All right. So we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back. Karen O is going to scream her heart out in the Immigrant Song the cover created for the film The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Patreon. Every now and then we need a little support to help make the podcast go on. Patreon, support us. And in return, we'll give you all we got. And we need you now, tonight! <laughs> Seriously though, head over to Patreon and support us. We have some really cool perks, exclusive content, and your support will help us grow so we can continue making this show. And then maybe we could afford some singing lessons. Or not sing at all, just talk about the people who sing. Check us out at The Song Will Go On on Patreon. We're back and we are definitely ready to talk about the immigrant song cover by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and Karen O from the film The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But before we go deep dive into the song, Sophie, I need your magic. Set up the song for us. So, Immigrant Song is a song originally by the English rock band Led Zeppelin from their 1970 album Led Zeppelin 3. Despite having roots in blues rock, Led Zeppelin is often credited as the forefathers of heavy rock and heavy metal, in big part because of Immigrant Song's killer drums, staccato guitar riffs, and heavy bass, mixed with Robert Plant's ghostly howls. It all comes together and it sounds like horses galloping as he rings out in a battle cry. Damn straight. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what marks this song as proto-metal, maybe more than anything else, is the Norse imagery in the lyrics of ice and snow and Vikings and Valhalla. And it's that imagery that makes the song a natural choice for a girl with the dragon tattoo. So in 2011, Trent Reznor, the singer and songwriter of Nine Inch Nails, and composer-collaborator Atticus Ross were tasked with creating a cover of the song that would be used in the film's main title sequence and teaser trailer. They brought in Karen O from the Yeah Yeah Yeahs for her unique and haunting vocals. The result is an industrial rock version of a classic that has Trent Reznor's fingerprints all over it. God, so great job. Thank what you. a setup. I did it again. This is That's like a volleyball. Now, <laughs> now we, we spike it. David, I'm going to come to you. You picked this song, and I want to know What's your relationship with this song, man? What's your history with this song? First of all, Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral, just a huge record in my life. Like, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. I remember the first time hearing parts of it and, like, feeling like I was scared. Like, that music was <laughs> Yeah, scary, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Scary, different, dark, like, addressing really dark things. And I was like, this is what being a heroin addict, like, sounds like. I was like, this is not fun all the time but the way it's constructed musically always 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 got me it is a geniusly made record i love it second the yeah yeah yeahs are also really important to me and a big band in my life i think the group of friends that i had when this band was kind of just starting were really on this band so we had that first ep the master one it says master across it 
And we played it all the time. And then we heard the full length record was coming out and they were going to play a show in Portland, Oregon. We frantically got tickets and it was in a really small venue. Oh, that's cool. So we're talking a club where, you know, the roof is maybe a foot and a half above you, right? <laughs> There's a tiny, tiny little club. And we're watching the opener and I'm there with, the, with a group of friends of mine. Two people over comes Karen O. And I look over and it's this gal. She's very slight. She's really small. She's got one glove on and like these tight latex pants. And my friend goes, hey, that's a great glove. And she's like, thanks. I got one more where that came from. And it was just, it was just too much. And so then they played a set. They played a bunch of new songs along with that EP. She let this uh, 11-year-old girl come on stage and sing one of the songs from the EP that she knew. Wow, it was just like really this cool. really warm community moment. And everybody in the room knew this band was about to be gigantic. Like, it, you could just feel it. And then I'm telling you, Maps was a single like three months later, and it was like, bye-bye. Oh. This, this band's huge. And they were gone. They were opening for the White Stripes and, and you know, doing, doing much, much bigger shows. But yeah, Fever to Tell, that album changed my life. I love it. And I love her attack and approach in her vocal style. It's uncompromising. It has a real punk rock feeling, but also felt like it was different and kind of moving, moving the needle again on how that punk sound can be, can be constructed. So I have a lot of attachment to kind of the two halves. Now Atticus uh, comes into it later for me because I, I enjoy the soundtracks he does with Trent Reznor. Um, but that, that piece was a little bit later. But these two kind of pairing together, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope this is a band. Like I was, <laughs> I was like, do more was, was my, you know, I was like, I hope this continues. So you can say that you've been fan of the song ever since and it's like on rotation for you. It's something you have. Yeah, it's a mix. It's, it's in mixes a lot. Talked about songs earlier to kind of get us pumped up. I mean, this song, it takes the, the propulsive nature and the propulsive beat. It makes it like a Nine Inch Nails beat. And then she just gets to just completely terrorize the top of it with her vocals and it just is, works perfectly. It's so, it has so much attitude. And I also think it's clever because it's also not too much different. It's like honoring the original's energy and then it's, it's making it like a Nine Inch Nails karaoke version. And then we get Karen O just, just totally nailing the vocal line. Well, I don't think we're gonna come close to your yeah, 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 story, but um, Sophie, I'm curious, what was your relationship with the song like before the pod? Like, had you heard about it? Were you aware of it or you're not? Were you a fan? I remember this cover coming out and how it was featured in trailers. And I think it was a pretty big promotional tool for the movie. I recognized Karen O. The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs were pretty big, I think, when I was in high school. So I remember friends being fans of the band. I didn't know much about Nine Inch Nails at the time, actually. Outside, I was my love for David Bowie started very early. I was probably about 13 when I That's really got into it. Really, really good. Flex. Yeah. And uh, Trent Reznor did uh, some remixes of I'm Afraid of Americans. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that sort of brought me into Nine Inch Nails a little bit more. That was my the first time they really appeared on my radar. One of my favorite Bowie songs. Absolutely master. I know. It's I underrated, it. I think. Yep. That whole album is. I had to revisit it for this podcast because I hadn't really listened to it very much. I was sort of expecting to, you know, turn my nose up at it and say, oh, well, they, well, they, I guess they tried to yeah, do a cover yeah. of like one of the most famous rock songs ever. But no, I, I mean, they, they, they nine inch nailed it. Yep. <laughs> Which is a very good thing to do. Would you guys believe me if I said I came up with that in the moment? I did not write that joke. <laughs> I would. I would believe I believe yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I was a fan of this song when it came out. Remember, we talked about how I was hyped for this, but I lost touch with it, to be honest. When you suggested it for the episode, I was like, yes, yes. That's was it yeah, yeah, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was like, man, that's why haven't I listened to this like in a couple of years? What's wrong with me? And ever since, and, and even now, I, I just think it'll be 
in rotation. Like, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yes, I do like it. And these guys are really good at really good at doing covers. This is a really good cover, and it's such hard thing to do a cover of a famous song. When I think about this song, and one of the things I love about this podcast is sort of like the rabbit holes we do, you know, with these sort of song, and that's what soundtracks allows you to. They sort of connect you to the thing. And to me, this was just like, oh, great, let's deep dive into industrial rock genre, which is a genre that I have a somewhat of a relationship, but not as strong as you, David. And I found it very insightful sort of deep diving into that. It was super rewarding. First off, for those who don't know, industrial rock genre is is a genre that got really popular in the mainstream in the 90s. And yes, by artists such as Nine Inch Nails, and I'm going to play a bit. Favorite Nine Inch Nails songs, I'm just saying it closer, masterpiece. Other artists in this genre, uh, we have Marilyn Manson. We also have Rob Zombie. I knew all of these artists and I listened to them. They're, I would say, hits and not Nine Inch Nails and Rob Zombie were the ones I listened to most, like that album you mentioned. You touch upon this, David, is I thought it was interesting that there was this stigma around these artists, you know, like, oh, it's, it's uh, very... Uh, Hardcore, dangerous. dangerous music. Dangerous, oh my Paolo. God, the lyrics is dangerous. Oh, yeah. so the influence and obviously, you oh, know, yeah. what the whole Marilyn Manson and Columbine and that, you know, I, re- I remember that as a kid and this sort of, there's this like, ooh, you know, but I always, always remember just liking this based on the music. Well, part of it's too, part of it's the time. Pre-internet, early internet, like your access to things from the darker side of life were much more limited. So, you know, when a band like Nine Inch Nails made some amazing music videos that are also borderline five minute horror movies where if you're 15 on MTV and you're watching some of this stuff going, what is going on here? And one of the best tricks about choosing this kind of industrialized version of this song is that it connects to Lisbeth so much. The visualization for the intro of the movie, of course, but her as a person and the parts of the world where she feels comfortable tend to be these gothic club settings, you know, where she's surrounded by bands that you mentioned, but like Ministry and New Bowden and all this kind of more an underground EDM industrial life where being different is more common, you know, rather than uncommon. You've mentioned I picked up underground, dark, and, you know, those themes we talked about. And that's exactly my point is that's why I find interesting because now... Looking back in a very different eye, this is very pop music, you know, like here are like the elements that I found that make the industrial rock. Basically, I found like these five elements are the staple of industrial rock, which is embrace of technology, danceable rhythms. It has heavy metal instrumentation, disorder guitar, synthesizers. It features provocative lyrics. And last one, occasional pop hook. Once you listen to all those examples I play from artists, you can absolutely pinpoint all of those what I just said. And specifically with The Girl with Dagger 2, this is where I think why this cover really excels. Because Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross really do a great job at those. For example, let's focus on danceable rhythm. And one of the things I love is how they take that Led Zeppelin rhythm and they do something to it. Maybe speed it up a bit or something. They transform it into what is really like a danceable beat. Check this out. Like, that's a really... A more danceable beat, I feel like, than yeah. the Zeppelin. And, and I feel like that's like the backbone of that song. That's what really gets you that like, that's where we start setting up the, let's say, industrial rock palette. And you start with that backbone, that beat. So I thought that was super clever from them. And then, David, you said how it well connects to the character, Lisbeth. And then what is another element of industrial rock? The embrace of technology, you know, and that's obviously something we have there in the main title sequence where this song gets used. We also have, I mean, I even spotted like an old iPod classic chord. Like (laughs) there is definitely an an embrace of technology. And I mean, I feel like you can't talk about Trendresser and Atticus Ross without talking about technology. I think computers and industrial music and that I think that it's definitely part of that first wave of uh, cyberpunky 
you know, kind of motifs. But again, it, it's that now looking at it, it's like industrial rock, like that genre, like it feels like it's it's almost like sugar, but covered by this dark enclosure, you know, this dark facade. But when musically, that's what I found interesting. Like, it's just, it's really pop. Again, again, occasional pop hooks as an element. I'm going to play back the Nine Inch Nail clip. Like, that is just so catchy. That is just so catchy. And I find so interesting that I grew up with this stigma around this music. Uh, you know, maybe like the adults in my life, like, oh, you be careful with that. You shouldn't listen too much to that. Or like, I had this sort of thing. And if only they knew what was going on under the hood musically, it's really actually pop and catchy song. And it's just, you know. Well, it's all what's on the surface, right? They see some yeah. men in makeup and they can't handle it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or just, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. And you think about it in the 60s and the Beatles were definitely putting the fear into people for the same thing. Think about their lyrics like, I want to hold your hand. Now, think about closer, you know, <laughs> rewind it. And, you know, or excuse me, move forward and you think about Closer and what's the main lyric of Closer? And it's basically, I want to hold your hand just in a much more intimate, <laughs> deep, deeper connection. Just, right? just closer. It, yeah, exactly. It's it closer, yeah. closer, much closer. So so you can see the same kind of fear from what's the loudest, most obvious thing. The Beatles, their their hair isn't cut and they're talking about sex. And then you can look at industrial music a little bit similarly and say they're all dressed like weirdos and they're talking about sex you can apply that same kind of <laughs> tale as old as time <laughs> it's tales all this time yeah. that's right i think this is a good spot to talk about when we said pincher and how precise you can tell in his films that everything is very organized and, and conscious and all that thing that's why i think Grand Reston and Atticus ross are such a good pairing with him because you can argue that they're the fincher of of music in a way like every I feel like that's how I get when I listen to when I listen to their scores, I would say mainly. And I feel like their music is always very polished and organized and precise and deliberate. And and I mean, they even took thing for the score of this movie, 14 months in writing that. So, yeah, I think you're dead on that. I think the first time I heard Trent Reznor paired with Fincher was seven. He he does the opening song for that. It's a remix of a Nine Inch Nails song. Mm. And then when he did his first score... I was like, uh, with, with David Fincher, I was like, of course, these two are like made for each other. <laughs> it's like his John Williams, right? It's like Spielberg's yeah. Williams mm -hmm. or something. And they, they feel really complimentary to each other. And uh, it doesn't mean I think they should always do it. But man, every time they collaborate, it seems like it really works. I got to say, they are really good at making covers. This isn't the only cover of them that I actually love. Have you guys seen The Watchmen HBO series? Watchmen? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So they also wrote the score for that, but they also wrote a cover for that for another song that I think, if you talk to me about impossible songs to cover, I would mention this. It's Life on Mars by David Bowie. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you cover that? And they actually attempted that, and I think they also did a great job. I could only play a short clip, but that is definitely mm -hmm. one that you sort of need to hear. But they did a really good job. I'm hold on to anyone who's thinking they're. I'm not saying they're better. They definitely know, are not better. You know I how I feel say, about David Bowie. Yeah, so. we know they're <laughs> yep. definitely. It's not that they are better, but it's impressive that they are able to stand on their own as having their own identity. And I think that's what makes them great covers. It's just like the problem that we were having with the film, or maybe I should speak for myself, where it's like hard to justify the need for this. I don't get that with the cover, with the song. Like, this definitely, like, I'm glad this exists. This feels very different from Let's Zeppelin. I can enjoy this. This is something I can enjoy without thinking about Let's Zeppelin that stuff. It has a life of its own. And that's what I'm very impressed that they were able to do. Yeah, their their cover of Immigrant Song is definitely serving a purpose for the movie. Uh, and I think that that is sort of maybe what differentiates or what adds some sort of layers of context and understanding to it than another artist just doing another cover. Yeah. I, well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I'll bring it back to how good it is at connecting to Lisbeth, because as organized as David Fincher is and as organized as Trent Reznor are, Karen O is much more chaotic as a performer, yeah. as a writer. Lisbeth is much more chaotic 
and and much more of a live wire. And I, I just it's just like a perfect little prelude to the entire movie and, and the visual sequence. But the song just captures what Lisbeth is going to do to this entire story and just rip right through it like a like a train. So I feel like we've definitely talked about Trans Reznor and Atticus Ross, but we have to talk about Karen O because David, you yeah. alluded to this. Her voice performance is so, so good. Mm-hmm. And Rips I want to play it. you. Yeah, I want to play you a clip because I there was this section in the song that I just absolutely love where she's killing it. But also there's like a parallel version of her voice that feels like it's turning into a demon. And it's so, <laughs> so, so good. just gives me goosebumps honestly i love that so much yeah Um, i love the layering you're absolutely right it seems like there could be uh, who knows three or four versions uh, of her kind of uh layered on top of the her main vocal yeah i feel like we're sort of lucky that we got this cover because apparently this came from fincher and reznor was not too pleased about having such a tall order in doing a cover of <laughs> one of the most beloved and most classic rock songs. But I, I'm so glad that we got a version of this song with a female vocalist. Uh, I think that that really sets it apart and draws it into the themes of the movie. It all goes down to what you two have mentioned, but it's and that's why we love covering these songs on the podcast, because it's storytelling. Storytelling yeah. is the big band that makes all those decisions. I mean, and, and this example which everything aligns there's other examples they don't but in this example we've said so much how everything here is just connected and it fits so great these are the kind of stylistic choices i feel like or or creative decisions that you don't get outside the soundtrack realm i feel like the cinematic world mixes with the music and we have these things so that's why i like i like so much not only this cover but like the world of, of soundtrack songs. yeah this is why we're, yeah. we, we mm-hmm. talked about them you know it's it's super in vogue right now to have like really awesome needle drops in your movies and i think that's you know a credit to the popular you know it's being popularized a lot by like people like james gunn but when it's done poorly when you just drop a pop song into a movie, it just drives me crazy because it doesn't mean oh, anything. Oh, David. And this, mm-hmm. oh, this is David. why this is why this one matters so much is because it means something. They took yep. the time, they picked the right thing, they got a they got a female vocalist. Like it's just a, a a gestation of all these themes to make it matter. Not just putting come together over the trailer of a movie and being like, <laughs> In this yes. isn't that great? Like my, it just doesn't. That, that stuff is cheap to me, my friend. You have just made a turn into a very lane that we definitely want to talk to because that's something I had in mind. This is something I thought about immediately when I started researching for this. Is like, was this like responsible for the trailerized songs trend? <laughs> Meaning, what is trailerized songs? Is basically the pop songs. They are very famous, recognizable, and they get converted into these like slow, moody versions and they use in the trailer. And I was like, is this what it started at all? Like the success of this yeah, song was started. Be. It's not entirely. I need to do research well, to come back it, it, with it, it a firm judgment. It didn't. Actually, the social network, another Fincher film, that might be more accurate. They did a version of Radiohead's Creep uh, sung by like a Belgian woman's choir. If you have to put like a big band, I think that is more appropriate. This might just added a massive kind of feel to that burning fire that was already started by social network. But I yeah. think this definitely like the success of this song, like it works so well. And again, at my experience, this song was a really important reason why I was really hyped for this movie and that teaser. So it really worked. Now, like you mentioned, David, now we've, I mean, to the point where I, I read apparently like Sony Music Publishing has a whole team, a whole team just dedicated to trailerizing popular songs for trailers. That's all they do. Please, please even stop. If, <laughs> even if they're not, they have tired. Even if they haven't ordered it, they're just like, hey, just, just have it in hand because we might use it. There's, all they do is trailerize and this trend can be done really well and it can be done really, really, really bad. Do you? Yeah, if yeah. I hear Jefferson Airplane 
in another trailer <laughs> with like just the lyrics, but the, you know, music yeah. dropped out just like the lyrics with an echo on it. I'm going to go insane. Well, and what's hard is that it's been used and done so much that it's diluted because that choice for that Matrix trailer is actually a pretty good yeah, story I actually one. It actually enjoys, makes yes, yeah. I at mean, least they, it makes sense for the story. But they it are, does, but that's not even the first one that that used that one. There was an right. I, I'm, I can't. Even, I, I can't. No, I, no, I'm exactly. trying to forget. All of it was 2D. How we always do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they also on the Matrix example, they also use it in the film. So that's how you can tell, like. There was more of a story decision there, and I don't mind that one. I actually, like you, like that one. I do have some bad ones, which is... I think yeah. this is a oh, whole no. separate episode. Yeah, I mean, oh, I'm just going to... There's a lot. <laughs> but here, here's, a bad, here's a bad one. Team one up. Team one up. My ears. I'm sorry, everyone, but... No, I, I, I blocked my from my brain what movie I don't this is like from. that. Uh, I also what's this from? Uh, uh, that was uh, Black Widow. Oh yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Like, no. That, you know, like and, what? And, yeah. I, I just don't don't like it. Don't like <laughs> the trend. But I have to say though, it's there are someone. Here's an example, maybe of one I like, and I it, you might think it's blasphemy, but it can be done well. That's Lana the Ray's Once Upon a Dream for Maleficent. I don't Yeah, but mind at least that. it's for Maleficent. Like there's a reason. That's a yeah. thing, you Again, know? So that's a thing. Yeah. It's it's when it's storytelling driving the car, I think that's when it works. That's why driving the girl with the dragon tattoo works so well, because we've mentioned so many story reasons why it works. And Black Widow smells like Teen Spirit. That no, no. But I think like, no. also the, like the st the sticking point is that it's always a female vocalist taking a song that is either faster or more upbeat and turning it into a slow haunting melody, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, been that's one of the tropes let's for try, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's try something else, I guys. Found, I found a really good observation in a New York Times piece by this critic, Alex Papademas. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I don't know. But he said something. I was just like, damn, that's a really good mic drop. Talking about trailerized songs, he says, they are the signature movie music form produced by Hollywood's era of perpetual reboot. Riffs on pre-existing intellectual property conceived solely to promote movies that are also tend to be riffs on pre-existing intellectual property. Mm. That's a well, really good observation. It is. Yep. And they get to relicense their own content, right? So it's like they're going to pay themselves for reusing their own material. Because they found a new way to, to make a revenue stream from it again, right? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to some answerable questions here. Woo. And let's start with Seven Seconds in Heaven. What seven seconds from the song gives you the goosebumps? I'm going to go first. Because <laughs> it really gives me the goosebumps. Dealer's choice. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go on. First, but you'll, you'll see. You'll see my right. my my train of thought. Mm -hmm. Yep, I just went straight for the beginning. Just the opening. Just the opening when yeah. that when that drum fill yeah. kicks in and you go and it just starts. You're mm -hmm. like you're like oh my what's going on like. <laughs> electricity like it just pumps me up i love beginnings of films songs everything the beginning i'm a, I'm a beginnings person so that's my goosebumps it's a strong beginning yeah yeah it's really hard not to pick that so what do you got for seven seconds in heaven this one was a bit of a thinker yeah honestly because it's a very short song yes this one and the original sort of shockingly short maybe yeah, that's why they're estate. so good yeah not a lot of real yeah, estate point, but still point. i was going through Pretty much seven separate in increments of this song. Be like, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> oh, that could be it. I think the way that I determined my favorite seven seconds was by comparing it to the original. Interesting. So I'm going to break script here mm. and I'm going to play you the original seven seconds, the Led Zeppelin version of my oh. seven seconds from the Karen O version. I like it. Go I ahead. like where we're going. Yep. 
Okay, it's good. Very ghosty, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and now let's hear Karen O singing that same part. Different vibe, right? Ah, I love that. I love that comparison. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Because it in Robert Plant's version, he's you know, it's sort of like we've sung the song. This is our sort of ghostly warning, and we're closing out the track. And yeah. Karen O is sort of like, no, I'm still going. And instead of fading into the background, she's coming in with more energy until the end. And yeah, I'll, she's reaching a climax. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> you know? yep. That's really good. So yeah. I, love, I love that. That's Thank a you. really good comparison. <laughs> David, what do you have in Seven Seconds in Heaven? I think she just took really? one. You guys have the same. I think <laughs> my, mine's mine's the two thirteen spot, and I, so now I need oh, to hear it just thought, to be sure. Okay, yeah, let's check. Yeah. So yeah, it's the same part. Mine's much. a little before. Yeah, yeah. I, little I, before. I think I'm the lower part, uh-huh. and then yours is kind of the higher part, right? Right. right yeah. yeah, yeah. David, yeah. you like the build up. Sophie likes, I guess, the climax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get to the top. Get to the top. I love the way they riff on that on that Zep part. Just just kind of like what Sophie was saying. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're 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 kind of aping that vibe. They're trying the different kind of vocal styles and stuff, and it just has a real good rhythm to it. I think that you were kind of hinting at this too about the beat of this. I bet somebody could sample the hell out of this and do some cool stuff with it. I'm sure that sampling Led Zeppelin is really, really cheap, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it has a lot of possibility. Moving on, favorite lyric. What's our favorite lyric? Um, mine is just really short. The phrasing, "The hammer of the gods," oh. and this is obviously we have the Led Zeppelin lyric, so this is kind of like a beat yeah. of a cheat, like it's not, but. That phrase, especially when he sings it, like the hammer of the gods. I love it. It's such a cool saying. Like, I, I feel like I could write a story just based on that saying. <laughs> it's so great. Sophie, what do you got for your lyric? It's gotta be, we come from the land of the ice uh, and snow. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that was my second probably. And I'm curious what David has, but yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe this comes from my love of School of Rock <laughs> with <laughs> yes, Jack Black yes, singing yeah. this. <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, that lyric just... it. You know, like that's the first thing that they have to say in this song. And it's just dope. Which I feel like this is, that's one of the first times, I don't know first time, but like one of the few and first times we saw Led Zeppelin music being used on film. And I remember that. Yeah. I, I think I read that in order to get the rights to Led Zeppelin, like let them use the song for that. Like Jack Black recorded him himself performing like that song. <laughs> yeah, he does really a hard. great job. And, and that's what's sort of like, oh, maybe he's like, he's he loves us. He's such a huge fan. Sure, you can use our it's, song. It's really hard to get them to license stuff. Yeah, for sure. But that is a great movie and a great scene. Yep. That I, I think I always <laughs> remember that scene. I, I mm-hmm. love it. So, yeah. David, what is your favorite lyric? So now you better stop and rebuild all your dreams. For peace and trust can win the day despite all you're losing. Mm-hmm. That kind of final refrain. Yeah. Dang. How did I miss that? That's good. <laughs> oh, that's really good. That's some poetry there. Has it aged well? We ask ourselves if the movie or the song has aged well. I'm going to start it with, I, I, I think so. I, I, think the, I think definitely the song has aged well. I think the movie for me also aged well. But the song, I think even more when you, again, when we were especially talking in that trailerized song trend, if this indeed is part of that trend, I, I don't even know if I would classify it as that. But if you do, then this is the gold standard and everything yeah. else has fallen yeah. short. So I definitely do think the song has H well. Even without that content, it's a banger song. Hmm. 100% agree. Yeah. The only thing I would say about the movie is, like I said before, I'd be curious to see what this movie looks like if we're making this now. Because we, we're having conversations about consent and sexual assault and systematic oppression, and Nazis. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I mean sorry, unfortunately, but... Unfortunately, it's H. Well, in that sense, like... I don't know. Like, uh, still, yeah, it's relevant. I'd, like, I'd it's be, relevant. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Underrated or overrated? Do we think this song or movie is under or overrated? None. I don't think it's either underrated or overrated. If I have to pick one, I would say the song is a bit underrated. Like, for me, 
to have forgotten about this song and now be glad I reconnected with it. Underrated. So what do you think? Yeah, maybe the song is a little bit underrated, but that also just might be my bad. Yeah, same. That's our, our getting our it out of value. my rotation. David, as someone who is has it on rotation, what do you think? Underrated or overrated? I think you're pretty on the money, both of your guys' assessment. Mm -hmm. I think the movie's rated right. I think the song is is slightly underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I think that feels fair. I think it's living in its appropriate spot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hall of Fame moment. Who or what? Do we think had their best moment in pop culture with the movie or the song? It can be anything we want. And I think Rooney. Hmm. I think Rooney? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think she. I Carol, think she's got. The, I would argue Carol maybe, but maybe it's Carol between the two. Maybe Carol. I think from, more people have seen yes. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo than have True. seen Carol. Yeah, you have I, a good I, point. If from a pop culture standpoint, maybe this is her her Hall of Fame moment. Maybe she'll do something in the future that'll replace that. But for yeah. me right now, I just think she's the biggest, she's the biggest takeaway from that entire movie is, is her performance. Sweden? Is this Hall of Fame moment for Sweden? <laughs> I don't think no so. No way. I don't uh, think so. It can't, for, we can't let it be. How about it's, for it's, covers? Hmm. It's a pretty good cover. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know either. Well, we did, another, we I did know. another cover, Lady Marmalade on the pod yeah i'm curious if it i don't know it, it it's a good one i don't think it's hall of fame for industrial rock and movies i would put the matrix soundtrack for that i feel like that had even more of a presence in that movie what else do we have anything else hall of fame moment no uh yeah not i, I just obviously it doesn't need to be said it's not fincher's best movie i don't think um, so yeah there's a lot of better work from a lot of people involved here yeah. but still really good there's one more needle drop. It's not a cover, but it may be the most, I think it's the craziest use of Enya in a movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying a, to think, that's trying a to think if it's used in American moment. Psycho too, but I, it, no, we're no, not, no. I remember vividly when Michael's cornered mm -hmm. and he goes to hit the play on, the, on his reel-to-reel -reel tape machine. <laughs> and it is Enya. I was just like, where are we headed? This is getting really weird. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it's it such too. a weird, like, it's his tranquil, safe, like, mental space so he can mm -hmm. kill. Like, ah! But I totally buy it in the scene. Like, I believe yes. that Stellan Skarsgård has a murder basement and listens <laughs> to Enya. Yeah. On real to yeah. real. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> a very important detail. Next one, remix. Which of today's current artists or band would you pick to do a remix of this song? This one's tough because it's already remixed. I have right? a lame. Well, yeah, and it's I not have... even that old. Like they're they're still modern folks, but there's got to be somebody. Yeah. I'm gonna show my age or in my show my yeah. butt on this and not knowing <laughs> modern musicians very well. I have a lame answer because I think it's so obvious. But mm. Billie Eilish probably if this yeah, movie came out, her, sure. I mean, she's an Oscar winner now. They'll give her anything, right? No, but I I, I just feel like if this movie came out. Again, sort of that story, like who can we get that is like edgy, like the character and all that stuff can can bring that sort of tone to it. Yeah. And I don't I, mind her. I don't mind I visualizing oh no, I, that. I, I like, I, and they would do all. a slowed down version. But that's, that's thing, her. Right? But that's, that's her thing. speed. Could, 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 that's her MO. That's yeah. the thing. It's like it would be very different, obviously. Like, I don't think it would be that this like. But that's what we need, face. right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it, you can do immigrant song slow. I don't know. Yeah. Billy finds a way. Do you, mm -hmm. Sophie, do you have a remix? I really, you, you, I couldn't. You, draw an empty? I, I couldn't really hone in. I mean, it, it depends what genre you want to put Immigrant Song in. Well, the next one is to be continued. Should we re revisit this movie and talk about another song in the soundtrack? Actually, this is really easy. No, there's no one except that Angel. We're not. This is actually last stop shop. Nothing to talk about in the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Enya's the only one I might come back for a, a <laughs> we quick could do, combo we on. Could, <laughs> if we do the needle drop episodes, this one's on the mm -hmm. list, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I don't need a full hour on it, but, you know, yeah. if we need a little epilogue. Right. Yeah. right. Honorable mention. Last question. Mm -hmm. Will the song go on? Will the song live on and continue and be part of pop culture? As I, I mean, I think yes. I think it's already doing that. Um. Yeah, apparently it was in a Hummer commercial a couple of years back. Really? Yeah. That, see, oh I could see it being relicensed. <laughs> yeah. I could see this song being relicensed for 
Yeah, the cover. Yep. Was the I Hummer bet- like running over people and like a car chase or something? What was that commercial? Oh, like? <laughs> well, isn't that what the what the what the what Stellan Skarsgård's character drives at the end? Is, isn't that what he flips over in? Oh, really? Is it? Maybe, maybe that could be bad advertising. I feel like but- the, the Swedes <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> be down be with Hummers. I yeah. feel like they're very environmentally no, right. conscious. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but I could see this version of it being relicensed and yep. costing less than the Zeppelin version. Yeah. And being more accessible. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it'll keep living on. It will. All right, let's move on to YouTube comments. Sophie, do you have any... Have you scrubbed the internet and found any comments <laughs> here? Worth? I found some. I have to say, I'm shocked by what I found. Really? I am. Because mm, I, was, I was expecting to go on YouTube and click on this song and have a bunch of Led Zeppelin fans in the comments oh, saying, of course, how Internet. dare how you, you yeah. touch immigrant song? It's the best song ever. This song sucks. And that is not what I found. So here's, here's mm. the first one. OMG with about six exclamation points. <laughs> this is absolutely <laughs> amazeballs <laughs> with seven exclamation points. Mr. Reznor Mr. is an Reznor. absolute genius for exclamation points. And Karen O's voice can rip the paint off any wall with her amazingly pitched voice. I love What's it. What's the exclamation point count on that? Uh, ooh, okay. I love it how he calls him Mr. Reznor. <laughs> I know, yeah, very, like, very, polite, very, very good. Polite. Well, how come Karen isn't Miss O? <laughs> yeah, good call. Good call. Uh, okay, She's, her name's more like Prince, I think. You know, yeah, I agree. It's, you wouldn't yeah. say Mr. Prince. That's just Prince. It's royal enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's another one. Some for Ragnarok. Others, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Me, GMC Hummer EV. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there it, it did is. Did you write that? Because you were the one who was telling uh, about yeah. the commercial. <laughs> That's the one that tipped me off, and then I had to look it up. But for me, it's School of Rock. <laughs> uh, okay, so here, here's one more. Comparing the original and the cover is like comparing two apex predators with different methods on the same prey. I love them both. Damn. Nasty. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. T-Rex versus Velociraptor kind of a vibe. You know Alien what I mean? Alien versus Predator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. I dig it. Well, I think that's the end of the row for this show. And wow. David, we want to thank you so much for being our guest today. And this for was picking so much this song. Fun. Yeah. Oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah, I had a great a time. And yeah, absolutely. I encourage people to check out David's YouTube channel, The Vinyl Score. Definitely worth checking out. And I, Twin Peaks, your your sound, your Twin Peaks soundtrack videos are an absolute must watch. So you got to go check that out. I love them. Thank you. And if you're interested, it's really all about soundtracks on vinyl. And this one, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo on vinyl is a huge uh, grail of mine. I really want this. Uh, but it's a big old box set that's out of print. So so uh, just leave your address here yeah. uh-huh. and someone can maybe yep. send it to you. It's P.O. Box underscore. Yeah. yeah, just go ahead and mail me one yep. if you've got one laying around. And obviously, thanks to So for her immersing research and work on this episode. And you can find us on Instagram at The Song Will Go On, Twitter, and TikTok. And let us know what you think of this song and, and if we miss anything. And let us know what else you want to hear. Yeah, we'll cover it. Thanks for listening and see you all on the next pod. Peace out. The song will go on is written, researched, and produced by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grassi. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are JP Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grassini. The song will go on. It's a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at gigawatts underscore YouTube.